Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Well, this morning, I know you're all ready for those hamburgers and hot dogs, so I've trimmed this thing down to an hour and a half. And it's entitled The Soul of a Nation. The Soul of a Nation. You know, it's very around 4th of July, it's always very easy for these feelings of patriotism to just kind of flow. And, you know, you, people are singing the Star Spangled Banner, songs about America and the freedoms that we enjoy. And it, it just kind of makes you want to stand up and, and salute or do something that shows that we are, in fact, proud of our nation to be Americans. And we hear a lot of speeches, patriotic speeches. I'm proud to be an American. There's a song that they sing, and we do share those uh, feelings of, of pride for our nation. But think about this for a moment. Maybe what we ought to be saying, rather than I'm proud to be an American, is I'm grateful to be an American. Amen? I mean, any of us, as Pastor Todd kind of alluded to, we could have been born anywhere in this world. I mean, depending on the situation, we could have been born in Bosnia, China, Pakistan. Uh, we could could have found ourselves sitting on a, uh, in the gutter in the streets of Bombay, India, just wondering where our next meal is coming from. But here we are, aren't you grateful? We're sitting in this nice air-conditioned building surrounded by beautiful people. And where is Pastor Todd? Where did he go? Oh, right there. How many, I didn't, just didn't realize how cute his knees are. He's got the cutest little knees, doesn't he? Good-looking guy right there. Nice looking face, but cute knees, man. <laughs> we so rarely get to see them. <laughs> well, aren't you thankful? I mean, right here in this uh, great state of Texas, aren't you grateful to be here? I'm very grateful to be a citizen of the United States, and I trust all of you are extremely grateful as well. There was a father who was uh, talking with his really rebellious son, and he was explaining to his son, every person who lives in the United States is a person of incredible privilege. And the kid said, well, I don't think that's true for a minute. And the father said, well, that's the privilege. You know, we have the privilege to disagree. We have the privilege to speak our mind. You can post what you want on Facebook, and if it's not too right-wing, it won't get deleted. That's all I'll say about that. We have a dear friend in Illinois who is very conservative, always posting conservative. She's been put in Facebook jail for, I think, the third or fourth time, where she, for 30 days she can't put anything on there because, you know, it's, it's radical extremism saying conservative thoughts. You know. I better stop or I'm going to get myself in trouble. We have the freedom of uh, hope. Freedom to dream and uh, to pursue our dreams. We've got a lot of freedoms that we enjoy. But let me say this, we are losing more and more of our constitutional freedoms every day. Some of you might be aware of it. Some of you may be oblivious to it. But I'm telling you, they are melting away. It's not meant to be a political statement. I'm telling, just saying it's fact. Especially towards Christians. 
I mean, you can be whatever religion in the world and talk about your religious leader, but you start talking about Jesus and people want to shut you up. But the rights that we do have remaining, they are there because of what our forefathers did for us. You and I, for the most part, did not earn the privileges that we enjoy as citizens of the United States. But I'm thankful for those who did earn them and pass them on to us. And these are the things that we celebrate during this 4th of July week. I, I like this. I love this illustration. I've used it before, so forgive me. But it's just, I love this illustration about a man named Alexis de Tocqueville, who was, if you lived in France, he was a very famous uh, political philosopher And about a hundred years ago, he made a trip to the United States specifically to try to uncover the uh, the secret of the greatness of this nation. I mean, to the rest of the world, our nation was so incredibly young, and yet we were so incredibly great and powerful, and he wanted to know the secret. And he traveled from town to town, talking with uh, everyone he could talk to, asking questions, just trying to examine every facet of our society. And upon returning to France, he wrote these uh, amazing words. He said, I sought for America's greatness. I found it not in her fields and forests. I found it not in her mines and factories. I found it not in her Congress and courtrooms. It was only when I entered her churches and heard her pulpits thundering against sin and preaching righteousness that I discovered the secret of her greatness. America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. We've lost some greatness because we've lost some goodness. I'm thankful for a president who is seeking greatness. And that's all I'll say about that. Don't anybody run out screaming. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And we have lost some greatness. The soul of America is God. And I think the warning to America is this. America, turn back to God before you completely lose your soul. I tell you, friends, if we put our trust in education, we're going to get what education can give us. And I will just say there's a lot of highly educated people running around that don't have sense enough to come in out of the rain. If we put our trust in money, we're going to get what money can give us. And if you want to know what that is, talk to anyone who's won a huge lottery and most of them will tell you, I wish I had never won the lottery. Most of them will tell you that because their life has become miserable because of money. If we put our trust in government, we're going to get what government can give us. Need I say more? You say, well, my government gave me $1,200 a couple months ago. Hey, I cashed my check too, but I'm just saying there is no such thing as free money and we're going to pay the price at some point. And if you think we're not, then you're just kind of living in la-la land. I got my free money. There is no free money. The price is coming. 
But if we will, my grandson, he, he's my biggest, he's down here laughing. I, I want you on the front row every single week, okay? But if we'll put our trust in God, we're going to have everything we need, not just for now or tomorrow, for eternity. Think for just a moment about some of the names of some of those great Old Testament prophets, names like Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Daniel. I mean, it's a pretty long list. But listen to the words of Jesus as he approached the city of Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. That's in Luke 13, 34. Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, he said to this angry crowd that was about to stone him, he said, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Why do you think it was that prophets were treated so horribly by their own people? Why is that? Why didn't the people just honor the prophets of God rather than persecute them? Here's why. Because the role of a prophet is to point out the evils of society and the things that are wrong in the land, and that's the last thing the people want to hear about. They don't want to hear they're doing something wrong. There's a lot of things that are right in our land, but let me, uh, for just a moment, let's, let's look at this flip side of some of these things, three things in particular I want to point out this morning that are wrong. Several years ago, there was a picture of that historic flag that was designed and sewn by Betsy Ross. It appeared on the front page of the Chicago Tribune uh, with this caption. The caption was, it's time to check our stitches because the grand old flag was literally coming apart at the seams. That's a deep thought right there, isn't it? It was coming apart at the seams. Maybe it's time for us to check the stitches, so to speak, and make sure that we are still the land, uh, that we're still the home of the brave and the land of the free and still one nation under God. Because that seems to be slipping away. And the quicker that slips away, the faster our greatness slips away. So I want to call your attention this morning to three temptations that we as Americans are facing today that are causing our greatness to slip away, causing this great nation to start coming apart at the seams. The first temptation that, that we all face, Christian or non-Christian, we have this temptation to enjoy the fruits of citizenship without tending the tree of liberty. I mean, that's, and that's even an understatement. Not only, for the most part, are we not tending the tree of liberty, we're trying to chop it down, it seems like. There's a guy named Harry Emerson Fosdick. He preached a sermon about 70-some years ago, and it was entitled, Parking on Someone Else's Nickel. That was the name of the sermon. Now, that's an old sermon, you know, because you can't park anywhere for a nickel, Right? That's how long ago it was. But the point is still the same, hasn't changed. He said that when he was 
a teenager, a young kid, his dad would drive up and down Main Street looking for a place to park. This reminds me of my own father. That's why I relate so well to this story. There were always tons of parking places because there weren't that many people in this small town that he lived, but not just any parking place was going to do. He would always look for one that still had time left on the parking meter. And if he didn't find it driving up one side of the street, he'd make a U-turn and he'd go back down the other and he'd keep it going. He might burn up a gallon of gas looking for a parking meter with some time left on it. But when he wheeled into that one that still had 30, 20, 30 minutes, it just made his day. Because now he was parking on somebody else's nickel. You know, that is kind of a problem we face in our nation today. Most of us, and I said this earlier, I mean, most of us, we haven't really earned the freedoms that we all enjoy. A lot of us didn't go to foreign lands and fight for them. We haven't shed our blood, sweat, and tears. But wouldn't that be a great name for a band? Anyway, you didn't even get that if you're under 40. So anyway, none of us, not one of us in this room, were on those amphibious boats at Normandy. And when those big steel doors opened up and those bullets just started ripping into the flesh of those men that were just simply doing their best to try to get on that beach. Most of us are parking on somebody else's nickel, aren't we? Let's face it, let's just be honest. There was a poet that expressed it very well. He said, we eat from orchards we did not plant. We drink from wells we did not dig. We reap from fields we did not sow. We are warmed by fires we did not kindle. We are sheltered by roofs we did not build. We are blessed by monies we did not give. Man, I'm thankful to be a citizen of the United States, but as a citizen, all of us as citizens, we have this responsibility to tend the tree of liberty, not chop it down. We have to care for it. We can't take it for granted. We can't think we can just chop it down, it'll grow back. No, it won't. Not like it was anyway. You know, the question is this this morning, is, the, is this world a better place because you're a citizen in this world? Is the country a better place because you're a citizen? Is our community a better place because you live in this area? Is your church a better place because you're a member of it? What are we doing today for heaven's sake, right? If we're not advancing the kingdom of God today, then we're just like all those who are enjoying all the fruits of freedom but not tending to the tree of liberty. Here's the sec second temptation that we, that we all face and experience. We have this temptation to enjoy the benefits of capitalism while ignoring our conscience sometimes. You say, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about it. I am personally, I am glad we live in a capitalistic country. That alone might get me booted off Facebook because capitalism has become this dirty word. Capitalism, thank you. That's what they pay me to do, so I'm here. <laughs> Who said that? Was that you, Kenneth? All right. <laughs> I thought I recognized that. I'll tell you, we, uh, 
Capitalism is not a dirty word. You know what the definition is? Capitalism means free market. Free market. We're free to buy. We're free to sell. We're free to make a profit, to earn our own living. I'll tell you, if you don't like a capitalistic country, if you think that's a dirty word, go live in one that's not, and you'll be begging, you'll be crawling back here. I'm just telling you. But here's where the problem creeps in. Capitalism without conscience becomes a very cruel and ruthless form of life. Capitalism without conscience. You know, it becomes a life where competition and success and greed and materialism just gets a hold and just begins to corrupt. And before long, we just lose all of our concern for others because it's just all about me. It can lead to that. But that was our fault. It wasn't capitalism's fault. You know, when our forefathers came to this country and they founded uh, our system of government, they were convinced convinced that there was a higher power involved that was all involved in the destinies of the men and our nation. That's what they believed. They believed in God. They believed he was highly involved in our life and in our nation. They believed that men were blessed by their creator with unalienable rights, and among them were life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-satisfaction. I said that wrong, didn't I? But even though I said it wrong, I spoke the truth. The reason we're losing our greatness is because people are all busy chasing life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-satisfaction. Because too many people today think that happiness, the happiness is only going to be brought about by their level of self-satisfaction. That creates a real problem. And I just want to tell you this morning, if your happiness is based on your level of self-satisfaction, there's two things you're not going to have much of in life. Satisfaction and happiness. Can I get one amen on that? I'm telling you, it's true. There was this very strong moral fiber and uh, strong moral strength in our nation when it was formed. But it's kind of coming apart at the seams, isn't it? I don't think it's too late to tighten those seams back up if we'll just do it. Today it seems that by and large our society is so caught up in greed and materialism that most people are just pretty much interested in themselves. It is survival of the fittest. We're most concerned about ourselves. And what is the result of that in society? Well, increased crime, drug addiction, increased immorality, and senseless rioting and looting. Senseless rioting and looting. You know, there's a lot of people in this nation that want you to believe they have a cause in their heart. But the truth is, they're just looking for an excuse to try to bring some self-satisfaction into their life. And they'll use any means and any excuse they can come up with. And... I think you know what I'm saying, but that's all I'm going to say about it. A lot of people want you to think they have a deep, deep cause in here, but what's deep in there is just greed and materialism and a, seek, a seeking for self-satisfaction. 
That's destroying our nation. There was a man who sent a letter to Ann Landers. And there again, if you're under 40, you don't even know who Ann Landers is. I'm just curious. Who knows who Ann Landers is? I think she lived in Chicago. I think she wrote out of the... Could be wrong. Anybody I think she was from Chicago. But anyway, you know, it was a help column. People write in for advice on this, that, and the other. And some guy wrote in, and I don't know what the original letter that he was responding to was, but this was what he said. He said, this is for the woman who was distressed about her son. I would like to ask her some questions about the boy. Is he disrespectful? Has he been arrested for drunk driving? Has he been kicked out of college for cheating? Has he made his girlfriend pregnant? Does he get failing grades? Does he steal money from your purse? If you can answer no to all those questions, then stop your complaining. You have a great kid. It was signed Ralph in Oakland, California. And Ann Landers, here was her response. It says, your letter shows just how much times have changed. You said that if a kid isn't on drugs, doesn't get failing grades, hasn't been arrested for drunk driving, or kicked out of college for cheating, hasn't made his girlfriend pregnant or stolen from her purse, that he is great. But you make no mention of achievement. There's not a word about integrity. No word about sense of responsibility, decency, morality, or especially service to others. She went on to say, what a sad commentary on our times. My Lord, where is our nation headed and who is taking us there? Now, this is probably 40 years ago, and now we could help fill in some of those blanks where the nation was headed, can't we? And is it good? Not all that good. We as the church, we need, I tell you, we need to be a lot louder and more vocal than we are. We, if the church doesn't make a difference in our nation, I'm telling you, the difference is not, you know, the change is not going to come. They have to hear from the church. The problem is nobody wants to be very vocal because they don't want to face the consequences. We're like little secret agent Christians. We know we're Christian, but nobody else needs to know. We're very stealthy. That doesn't bring about change. The truth is, it probably doesn't even bring about change in, in your life if that's kind of if you're if you're a secret agent Christian. But it brings us to this third temptation. Man, this, this is the big one. This is huge. The temptation to want Christianity without any commitment. This is huge. There's way too many people who want Christianity without any form of commitment. You know, and when I say Christianity, I'm not, I'm not talking about just some emotional ex one-time experience. I'm, I'm talking about a commitment and a surrender to, to God that just really results in a changed life. How do we know that we're a, a people that want Christianity without commitment? Well, according to polls that were taken, this is a few years back, but even then, over 70% of Americans claimed they were Christian. I have to think this world would be a lot different place if that was a true statement. If 70% if of Americans claim to be Christian, then it, it can only mean two things. One, they have a great desire to be regarded as Christian. But two, they have very little desire to live as a Christian. 
That's the only thing it could mean. And we have slowly become a nation saturated with churches that kind of operate on this litany of feel-good doctrine. You can go to church and you can walk out of there feeling good about yourself pretty much no matter what lifestyle you're living. Because there's no conviction. It's just all about feel-good. And boy, some of those churches are gigantic because people love to hear that. They don't want to hear they're doing something wrong. They sure don't want to hear they're doing something that could possibly send them to hell. That angers people, and so they leave that church and they go to one where they can feel good. And I'm not mentioning any names because I don't know. I, I don't know what, what all churches or what, but I just I've 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 seen and I've witnessed and I've heard with my ears enough to know I know what's going on. That's all I'm saying. I'm not pointing a finger at anyone in particular. But there's just way too many people that would rather, you know, the preacher just tell them how nice they are, how nice they look, how righteous they are. But their attitude is, but now don't you start talking about sin or things that I'm doing wrong because uh, I'm not really interested in changing. I want your Christianity, but I just want to stay exactly the way I am. And if we can share that relationship, I'll stay here and I'll even put money in the offering and I'll do this and that and I'll, you know. But you start doing that and I'll find a different place. And it has created within our churches this feel-good doctrine. I'll get off my soapbox. Somehow along the way, in our celebration of independence and, and freedom, we have forgotten the greatest freedom that any of us have. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he gave his life for our freedom. And it's a freedom nobody can take away from you. I, I remember reading the words of Corey Ten Boom, who was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp. They'd already killed her mother, her father, and at this point, even her sister. But before her sister died, she was telling Corey, remember this, this freedom that you have, that no matter how bad things get, nobody can take it away from you. Because we can have this freedom in the midst of the worst storms of life. And it's a freedom that absolutely no one can take away. That is the message that you and I, our country, we need to hear that over and over and over again. So, you know, by all means, man, let's stand, let's salute the flag today. Let's let our patriotic juices, you know, kind of flow freely, so to speak. But we need to remember this, that none of us have earned our greatest freedom. Not one of us. As a matter of fact, none of us even deserve our greatest freedom. Well, you talk about living on somebody else's nickel. We're all doing it. We didn't pay the price. Jesus Christ paid the price, and he gives it to us even though we don't even really deserve it. We just ask him, and he loves us so much, he gives it to us. Isn't that great? Chuck Swindoll wrote a book entitled Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. And he's got this story in there that I absolutely love. It was a true story. It took place in the Soviet Union quite a few years ago. But in the Soviet Union, uh, people were forced to meet secretly to have house churches because church was illegal. 
They tried to be as inconspicuous as they possibly could as people would gather on Sunday mornings in these homes to worship God. So they came at different times. They didn't all show up at once, and they'd just kind of casually walk into the house and until they had all arrived, then church would start. They'd close the doors, they'd shut everything up tight, and they would pull the curtains and just quietly worship God. But one particular Sunday, right in the middle of their church service, the doors burst open and these two Russian soldiers, they broke into the room and at gunpoint, they lined everyone up against the walls. And one of them said, if you wish to renounce your faith in Jesus Christ, then you leave now. Two or three bolted for the door. Again, the soldier said, this is your last chance. Either leave now and renounce your faith in Jesus Christ or stay and suffer the consequence. A couple more left. Then another. Few of them walked out the door. Some of them walked out just kind of hiding their head in shame, but walked out nonetheless. But the rest of them stood their ground. Families standing up against the wall. He said children were standing beside their parents, holding their hands, crying as their parents stood with their hands in the air, fully expecting to be gunned down in moments. And after everyone who had left, who chose to flee, One soldier closed the doors. He looked back at those lined up against the wall, and he said, keep your hands up, but this time in praise to our Lord Jesus Christ, for we too are Christians. They went on to explain that sometime earlier they had been sent to another house church to arrest the Christians, but in the process, they heard the gospel, they believed it, and they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But they said this, Here's one thing we've learned. We have learned that unless people are willing to die for their faith, they cannot be fully trusted. So that's why they asked the question. All those that weren't fully committed, they bolted because they knew they couldn't be fully trusted. The question becomes today, how many of us can God fully trust? Can God fully trust you? Were you willing to lay your life down for your freedom that you have? that he's given you? Basically, if you're not willing to do that, I don't think you can be fully trusted. I just don't think God, and he knows in our heart, we can say, oh, I'd lay down my life because it's so easy to say, right? Everybody say, I would lay down my life. Pretty easy, right? It's It's so very easy to say, but I think... Only we know deep inside here and only God knows if we really mean business. And I, I'm telling you, if, if God knows, we're really not willing to lay down our life for him. And hey, I'm not pe- preaching a message of doom and gloom. It's one of freedom and a freedom that no one can take from us. I'm just saying, if things don't change, there may come a time where it's either lay down our life or renounce him. And are you going to be the one that bolts from the room? Or are you going to be the one that stands firm knowing you've got a freedom that no one can take from you? They can threaten you with anything they want. They can't take your freedom away. It's there for eternity. I hope that you're thankful to be part of this great land of ours, that you don't take your citizenship lightly. But be determined to hold 
high these freedoms that we enjoy so that the generation that follows us can experience and treasure these things also. You know, I, I don't know, but I have, a, I have a sense in my heart and spirit that we maybe have a generation that we've raised that are not real, really willing to lay down their life for their freedoms because they shouldn't have to. Aren't you glad the Revolutionary War isn't being fought today? Something to think about. And I pray that you too will live as a real Christian who is hungry and thirsty for the truth of God and that you're never going to compromise it. But you're going to share it with a world that desperately needs to hear the only truth that can really guarantee anyone complete freedom. Amen? This morning... Jesus Christ, once again, he offers you the invitation. It's the greatest, from the greatest liberator of all, Jesus himself, who gained our freedom on Calvary's cross. It can be yours this morning. We're going to close our service as we have been doing for these last few months. We, we don't have, aren't calling our prayer partners to the front. But I'd like us all to stand together. And we're always going to close with a prayer of salvation. If you want to make sure, if you're not sure that you have that freedom, that you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, chances are good. If you don't know for sure, you don't have it. But you want to be sure that when you walk out these doors this morning, man, that freedom is locked in place and no one can ever take it from you. Then pray this prayer this morning. And let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, Thank you for dying for my sins. For paying a price I could not pay. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Thank you for these newfound freedoms that no one can take away. Now give me the strength to live for you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.